This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 18, for August 18th, 2010. Intro. Welcome to Prayer Room Companion. Uh, this week, Father Dickinson and I, together once again, uh, and, and what we thought this time, Father and I thought that it might be interesting and helpful, hopefully, uh, to to talk a little bit about um, both of our, our our individual faiths, in the sense of of why we each believe in Christ and the Catholic Church and so on, and in a particular way on, on how that matters in our lives. I think one of the things that has struck me, I, I, I've been for a long time, very long time, a why person. I've, I've long wanted to understand why. And I think Father and I are, Father, um, are similar that way. We want to understand you know, all sorts of things. Father, what was your major in college? Remind me, your first major. Chemistry. Chemistry. chemistry, right? Chemistry. So, so we both have this desire to learn about the world that we're in and, and understand it more, and and that's carried over as we both have studied theology. Father for the priesthood, me um, as a layman. Why do we believe what we believe? But then something that I think for me in a particular way has become more and more uh, important is so what? What's the relevant of that? Relevance of that in my life? Uh, and 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 Father and I are both going to talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, today uh, we're sort of going to do tag team interviewing. Um, I'm going to give Father an opportunity to talk about um, how he grew in 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 his understanding of of Christ and the Church and and how it matters in his life, um, and ask him some questions, and then um, I will do likewise. So, without father, further ado, uh, or without Father farther ado, I guess too. Um, Oi. <laughs> We will begin. So, so Father, uh, you are a father. Uh, you are a, a Catholic ordained, ordained Catholic priest. Um, Jesus obviously matters in your life. You want to talk a little bit about how that came to be and, and, and why that is so and so on. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ better matter in a priest's life because there is nothing sadder than a priest who has lost that love for Jesus Christ. A couple times each month I pick specific days of the month to pray for uh, of course, myself, but for any of other my brother priests that might be uh, in trouble or struggling that way, as someone once said, there's nothing deader than a dead priest. I, uh, my entrance in the priesthood, kind of my growth in life, uh, was very much, in some ways, a little bit of that nerdiness. Uh, I'm a nerd, and when I when I think of nerdiness, I think not about social socially awkward, tripping over yourself. Uh, laughing in a dorky manner. When I think of nerdiness, I think of looking for why. I think of looking for why. Uh, the way I like to uh, talk to maybe younger people, like my confirmation classes, is why always becomes that important question. We can answer how, like the sciences, chemistry, engineering, different things like that can answer how very easily, very readily. You know, But when something happens to your best friend in a car crash, you don't stand there saying, how, how? Well, the right. scientist runs up and says, well, the coefficients of kinetic friction were not able to overcome the momentum. The... No, you, you want to know why. You want to know why this tragedy is happening now. So my own deeper entrance into the questions of why started while I was in college. I was in Marshall, Minnesota at South, what was then called Southwest State University. Now it's Southwest Minnesota State University, which is a good clarification. And 
I was there in my freshman year studying chemistry. Actually, I originally went, a little trivia, I originally went to school for chemistry, music, secondary education. Wow. Yeah. I wanted to be a high school uh, chemistry and band teacher at the same time, which I was pretty insane, but, but a good year. <laughs> and it was in my freshman year, uh, stayed involved with my faith, actually, faith uh, helped uh, play some music and lead some music at uh, the campus uh, Newman Center there. And But uh, things really started to take a a different turn uh, in on that question of why. It was a Friday of in March. It was the Friday right before spring break, and I uh, didn't have a lot of money nor a lot of party desires, and so my spring break was going to be quite simple, just going home to Yankton, my hometown, visit my mom and dad, uh, get spoiled by mom's home cooking a little bit, uh, have some fun conversations with my dad. For those of you who aren't familiar with Yankton, by the way, um, the chancellor for the Diocese of Sioux Falls, Matt Altoff, maintains it is, in fact, the center of the universe. Now, I'm, Matt was a, a physics teacher at one point. I'm a little concerned about his geography there. But in any event, um, it's an important place, apparently. I like to go for more of an emotional resonance for the town of Yankton, not so much a physical locality. <laughs> but I prefer to refer to it as the mother city of the Dakotas. <laughs> there you go. But... So I was going to eat one last cafeteria meal uh, before I went home to eat mom's food that night. And so I'm having lunch there on a Friday in March, just to remind myself of how much I miss mom's cooking. And I'm sitting down, I'm eating my fish. Friday, March, Friday in Lent, eating my fish, being a good young Catholic, and sitting there by myself. And some gal who I kind of knew, kind of knew her, didn't really know her, comes and sits down across from me and says, hey. See so you're eating some fish there. I was amazed at her powers of observation. <laughs> and I said, yes, I am eating fish. And she said, hmm, so you Catholic? Yep. Oh, she said, well, why do you eat fish on Fridays? And I tried to put out the best answer I could, but I didn't have a good answer. She, she was maybe smelling some blood in, in the water and said, oh, well, uh, why do you as Catholics have more books in your Old Testament? Why do you as Catholics have this thing with the Pope? Or why do you as Catholics do this or that? And I was like, I kind of, I didn't know the answers. And so I was getting a little brusque. I was like, you know, I don't know the answers, but give me a little bit. I'll look them up and I'll tell you them. And she kind of pushed a little back at me. But if anything, it left me not just a bad taste in my mouth from the cafeteria food, but a bad taste in my heart that I couldn't answer why. Right. That I couldn't answer why we did these things as Catholics and these things that, I believed in. And so in that way, I kind of entered into the world of theology. You know, I was still a chemistry major, but it was theology in the sense that I had faith, but my faith was now seeking understanding. It was faith seeking why we do the things that we do. Why are these things in this way? And so I spent that spring break and then the rest of that semester looking up things, reading them on the internet, uh, finding apologetic articles, things by Scott Hahn or Jeff Cavins or Carl Keating read Fundamentalism and Catholicism and loved reading scriptures. I mean, because holy cow, the scriptures are Catholic. Ooh. And it was one of the things I kind of knew scripture verses. I knew my Bible stories pretty decently, well, pretty well. But, and then just started making all those connections. Wow, they're Catholic. Holy cow, have you read John chapter 6? How they let that thing in there? <laughs> you know? Uh, 
And so a lot of joy in my heart in finding those things to be true. And then there came a second level to this, though, as about a month later in April, I started praying in a little different way. So I kind of had that intellectual searching for why, and then I started looking for a why in my life. Uh, I was making uh, two mistakes at the same time, one April day. I don't remember what, uh, where it was in the week. It was an April day, making two mistakes at once. Hard to believe. First mistake is that I was running. The second mistake <laughs> is that I was praying. Uh, I was praying while I was running to try and fill up the time of the running because I didn't enjoy running. And so as I was running, I was kind of praying through the Our Father, the Hail Mary, just kind of through the, the laps on the track I was running on. And the, uh, the running, the, the praying, I started focusing on the Our Father and uh, how uh, the different parts of the, of the Our Father. And the thing that came to mind with the Our Father was, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it is in my kind of nerdiness, my why, I was like, okay, let's think about that. Well, heaven's your place, your will is done there, check, got it. But how do I make your will be done on earth? Now, I'm intelligent, but not exceptionally so. I'm handsome, but not ravishingly so. So, I mean, I'm not going to be able to influence a whole lot of people. And these are the actual kind of thoughts in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very humble. <laughs> and so I said, all right, God, the only way I can make your will be done on earth is if I do your will. And so I began to ask him, what is your will for me? And usually I'd throw on a tagline, well, I'll do whatever your will is, just so long as it's getting a PhD in chemistry and marrying some cute girl from the, uh, this cute girl that was in my organic chemistry, or I think general chemistry lab. And that kind of became my prayer for about, well, 12, 15 months. But in that why, I kind of opened up to that big why of my life. What is your will for me? What is the reason for my being here? I know I'm here. What's the reason for my being here? It's in that that I began to discover God calling me to be a priest. Uh, through a little ways, a lot of small ways, a lot of big ways. Um, kind of came to a culmination in, uh, a few months later in November, uh, where I'd, I'd been at home at a search retreat down in Yankton, a search for Christian maturity retreat. We saw them in the diocese. And I was on my way back, and I was dead tired. You know, it was a typical college-type retreat situation. I'd been gone for 72 hours and maybe had eight, eight to 10 hours of sleep and probably a danger on the roads, but I'm trying to drive back safely. And I realized I don't remember driving from Yankton to the interstate uh, through Vermilion. So I cranked on my windows in November and I turned up the radio and I'm kind of just yelling at God a little bit and, you know, slapping myself in the face to try and stay awake. And by just make it obvious to me, God, make it obvious to me. Because you know me, you know I don't catch hints. I can never figure out in middle school when, you know, girls like me because they flip their hair a certain way. You know how I am, Lord. Make it clear to me. And I get back to my dorm room, and I sit down to uh, watch. I want to watch a little Space Ghost Coast to Coast on the Cartoon Network before I go to bed. And so I turn on my TV. I'm going to go to turn to Channel 52. And on the way to Channel 52 is Channel 49, uh, which was EWTN. Ooh. Uh, and on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock, they would have a replay of the youth show, Life on the Rock, with, then hosted by Jeff Cavins, noted Catholic apologist and author. And so that's boom, Channel 49, boom, there's Jeff Cavins' head, you know, monologue shot. And Jeff Cavins says, have you ever thought about being a priest? <laughs> I quickly turned the channel to, to 52 and then threw my remote across the room. 
but eventually See, I went back there. Literally? Did you throw the remote out of curiosity? No. Well, oh. I, I might have. I okay. kind of slid it. Okay. I'm not quite that impulsive to break it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm nerdy enough that I'm always aware of uh, forces <laughs> and impact and momentum. Absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, and so that was really kind of the, a little bit of the culmination of that is just, you know, God making it obvious to me. And uh, since then, it's been a beautiful unfolding of his why, his reason. Right. So where, so in that, then, is, is um, obviously you, you uh, um, discerned or you came to some understanding that you might be called the priesthood, entered seminary, were ordained as a priest, um, are, again, obviously are a Catholic priest now. So how have you found, as that why unfolded, did you, for you, sort of, Coterminous at the same time, simultaneously, did you find the the relevance? Because you're sort of talking about that. Like, what's your will for my life? Is that for you how the the relevance of how this is real um, and it matters? It's not just abstract um, to some degree relevant truth. Um, how how did that dimension of the the relevance to your life come in? Was it with that that vocation vocational discernment? Yes, it was certainly linked to that because it was. The whole idea that there is a God who is specific, who is we, a lot of that searching of the why, you know, the joy of, you know, oh my gosh, the Bible's Catholic. And then, so seeing a lot of that, and then also that idea that God is real, God is specific, and God has love for me. And it wasn't uh, a blinding flash, right. you know, like St. Paul to Damascus, uh, but it was just this gradual awakening over these months, and just this kind of slow confirmation that yes, he is real, and yes, he has a plan for me, I mean, not just for humanity, but me, that will be done on earth. Well, I'm the only one that can do his, that I can control to do his will. And so now, as, as you've been a priest for several years now, um, how do you, I remember, well, Pope Benedict in a book, one of his, the, the, his most famous books that he wrote decades ago, Introduction to Christianity, uh, he talked about how, um, Belief and unbelief are always, in a sense, a temptation to both the believer and the unbeliever. So, we can, in other words, we can be lifelong Catholics, but we must always pray for the gift and the grace of faith because there's always the possibility that we will fall away. Um, and vice versa. The atheist certainly wouldn't pray for the vice of unbelief, but, but there's always the possibility the atheist, and obviously has happened as well, um, might find himself um, late in life after decades of unbelief believing. So it's always a possibility, in our case, a possibility for, for us to, to fall away from the faith. Um, how, after these many years as a priest, how, how do you find that, that or, or in what ways do you find maybe today or, or, or of late that Christ reveals himself to you here and now? Well, I must say, in all fairness, compared to my brothers uh, in the priesthood, uh, I am not yet had many years as a priest, uh, in my fourth year as a priest, compared to my brothers that have served wonderfully for over 50 years. But, you know, I love uh, Introduction to Christianity, which, by the way, is about as much of an introduction to Christianity as uh, thermodynamics <laughs> are uh, to physics or calculus right. math. But uh, do read it anyways. Uh, I very much believe that there is that darkness to faith in that sense. And, and a lot of our, the hymnody of the church, uh, when it talks about faith, will talk about the darkness of faith that in some ways there is that unknown. We can know things about it. We can know specific things. But we, we're going to come to a point 
where in our human experience of it, there is still that darkness, that unknown, and we must trust. Mm-hmm. We must trust the one. And so what I found, what has grown for me in this is in that devotional life, that prayer life especially, uh, of encountering Jesus Christ in prayer, in the scriptures, but also how those experiences then resonate with reality, with the objective world around me, uh, seeing how the teachings of the church make sense uh, in the lives of college students who are looking for, uh, for meaning and purpose. And so it's things like that that build up and encourage and are really a gift to me in my priesthood and my life as a Catholic Christian to stay, to stay firm in that faith. Um, and I would imagine, obviously, as well, part of that is, is you as a priest say Mass on a daily basis. And again, it's certainly possible that um, for a priest as much as anybody to, to lose faith, lose belief in the real presence of Christ. But still, you have the possibility of that real sacramental, but nonetheless real encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. And it's always important to remember that the, uh, well, when I think about that, and, or some people say, oh, you're so lucky to do that. But there still is that risk. And I always like to point out that the Eucharistic miracles of the church usually occur when a priest is doubting right. the real presence of the Eucharist. Right. So. right. Excellent. Any other thoughts along the lines of why or so what, Father? Um, uh, no, I just love the why. I think the more that you search for the why and ask our Lord Jesus Christ about the why of life, uh, the more beautiful uh, it unfolds. So as you were talking, I was struck again um, by the, 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 the many, I think, parallels between how you got where you are and how I got where I am, um, because the many similarities. I was in college at the University of Minnesota, um, the main campus in Minneapolis, um, and it was my junior year. I was walking across campus, and, and I was asked by two uh come to find out two evangelical Christians get involved in a Bible study. And by the grace of God, I said yes, and start meeting with them. And their questions were sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, challenges to the Catholic faith in which I have been raised, but perhaps um, to some degree, unlike yourself, um, was I was not practicing. I hadn't practiced the first, uh, well, then third year I was in school, I hadn't been practicing my faith because it hadn't been, gone deep enough um, as I have been growing up at home. So, so, but their questions to me, uh, because I also, I was an engineering major, um, also in the sciences, aer- aeronautical engineering. I wanted to design fighter aircraft for the Air Force. Um, uh, but I, I've, I've long loved uh, to study, to learn, and so on. Um, and so as they, they were asking these questions, and I know by, by, it was the movement of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, um, that, that I was struck in a particular way by their questions. And I wanted to know, well, why do we do what we do? Or why don't we do what they do? Um, uh, as, as pro- they, they as evangelical Protestants, uh, me as a Catholic. And so I, I started talking to, to, to people. Uh, my, my confirmation teacher was also a permanent deacon in my home parish. Um, and he also he recommended this book, Catholicism, Fundamentalism, that you mentioned by Carl Keating, um, the president of Catholic Answers. I read that. I just started reading voraciously um, and, and because I wanted to better understand why we do, why we believe what we believe. Um, and so the similar thing. So I uh, reading, 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 reading um, led me eventually to decide that 
to, to discern the priesthood, but I, I felt called to to study theology as as a layman and, and, and to probably marry. I, I transferred to Franciscan University of Steubenville. Um, I, I studied theology there, and then I went on and studied for my, my doctorate in, in Rome. Uh, I met my wife in Steubenville. We got married. We have four kids now. So that's that's is sort of the nutshell of the life. But but for me, it's all like you, Father. It's 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 been. Why do we believe what we believe? What's what's the inner logic? What's the what's the underlying rationale for these things? You know, I think a lot of Catholics of our generation, I think perhaps even more so, maybe of our parents' generation, see the church's teaching, um, especially moral teachings, as sort of arbitrary rules that are imposed by an external authority. Maybe God. Maybe more likely the Pope and the bishops and so on, um, simply telling us what to do. And we and and, and for those who 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 um, who follow them, sometimes it's I'm going to follow these rules, these these teachings, so I can get to heaven. But they're going to make me miserable while I'm on earth. Uh, and 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 as you and I both know, that's that's not the case. These are the the way the image I use is of of the of a of a of a the owner's manual for a car for an automobile. The, the manufacturer, Ford, uh, Chevy, GM, Toyota, whoever, they give you this manual because it tells you how to use your car and how to maintain it in a way where it's going to run well. And that's exactly what the church's teachings are with regard to our life. It, it's, it's the manufacturer's manual to being human, to, to being fulfilled, to finding true happiness. But I think that's lost on, if it's ever known by by many Catholics, they just see it as rules that we have to live by. And, and, and I wanted to go, is that, if that's all there is to it, then I'm not interested, but I wanted to find out, is there more? And there certainly is. Um, there are, there is an inner logic, there's underlying rationale. This is for our happiness, our perfection, not just in heaven, but it begins during this life as well. Um, you're not a priest just so that you can have this life living by yourself and that you can get to heaven. Um, you're a priest because it's, it's what's going to perfect you during this life now. Uh, and as well as, you know, your will be done, all those other things you talked about. The same for me. I My vocation and then uh, following the church's teachings is about fulfill, finding fulfillment, what, what's God's purpose for me, and therefore what's going to make me truly happy in, in the deepest sense. Um, so, yeah, I was struck as you were talking um, about that, that similar desire for the why, understand the deeper logic. Um, and as you and I were talking before we recorded, for me, and, and I mentioned the introduction, um, more recently, um, that's also flown over, flown over? Flown over? Uh, whatever. <laughs> the we might be nerdy, but we're not nerdy about grammar. We aren't, sadly, uh, I think, maybe. Or not. Uh, we, I, more and more. So how is this real? You know, it, it become what, for me as a layman, you, you doctor, and I think sometimes the temptation for 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 academics in particular is it becomes theory. It's 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 an intellectual and abstract construct. Um, uh, so the question that's that, that that's come to my mind maybe afterward uh, is that so what question? How does this matter? How is it relevant? I, I use the uh, the example often say. Um, the square root of 121 is 11, or the atomic weight of plutonium is whatever it is. Those are truths. Well, okay, there you go. Or is that uranium? <laughs> what about one of those eums um, on the periodic table? Um, what do those matter to my life? Uh, how? And similarly with with the the teachings of our, our faith, 
what do they matter to my life? Uh, how are they really real? Um, I was watching a video once uh, put out by an evangelical organization, and, and, and the, the presenter uh, posed a question which I love, and I've, I've uh, used it myself. And the question is this. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? So we, in Mass, we profess the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, every every Sunday um, at Mass. Do I really believe that? Do I believe in God the Father? He's the creator of heaven and earth. Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Not, not just do I acknowledge the truth of his existence and that his divinity and humanity and so on, do I believe in him? Do I, do, I, do I know that he is real? Do I believe he is really real? Um, these teachings of the church, do I, do I recognize them as, as the, oh, the articulation of reality, or at least of, of, of the relevant dimensions of reality? Do I really believe thing, these things to be real? And that question um, challenged me because, again, I think the temptation, for, at least for me, it is to treat these things as intellectual constructs rather than as the fabric of reality. And and so, again, for me, the important thing, and, and you mentioned prayer, and I think sometime we will have to, to have to devote a podcast to prayer because in some ways I think that's the root of it on our side. For us to to ensure that 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 our faith is a matter of of faith, of relationship, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, we have to be talking with them uh, and, and maintaining that relationship. If you don't talk to somebody, you can't say you have a relationship with them. And so uh, being grounded in, 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 in regular daily prayer, for me, um, has, has been helpful as I've been trying to, to, to go to that sort of, so what? How, how does this matter? How is Jesus Christ real? Where do I see him in my everyday life? Um, and and and, and oh, as I mentioned over the last couple of years, it's been, become more and more. It's 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 understanding more, but also seeing the the daily relevance of how my existence, my life, ought to be different. Everything I do ought to be different because of my faith in Jesus Christ and His Church. And if it's not, that's a challenge to me. That 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 that, that provokes me. I need to to grow deeper in my relationship with him, um, deeper in my understanding and uh, assimilation of, of his teachings as we receive them through the church, so that everything I do, I do differently because I am a Catholic Christian. That's, that's a beautiful way that we need to, to keep looking at it. And it's, it's almost, uh, you know, I think of the prayer... I'm a Catholic, I'm horrible at knowing where in Scripture verses come from, but uh, to say that, uh, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so as you were were talking, as I was listening to you, um, one of the things that kind of uh, clarified for me, I think from a question of yours earlier, when you talked about, you know, how has it become real or the the so what? You know, you discover the why and the so what. And for me, it kind of came up to this idea of theory and practice. Yeah. Is that faith just a theory? Is the faith just an idea that doesn't impact daily living? Or is it something that's put into constant practice? And I think in my own life, I was blessed in that 
there was a lot of congruence. There was a lot of uh, organic growth, you might say, between growing in knowledge of the theory of the faith and then that regular practice, that awareness of the presence of God. But in your own description of it, for you, was there more of a tension in that regard uh, in entering into the practice of the faith as you've learned the theory? Yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, you know, growing up, that um, I didn't have much of a daily prayer life. Uh, so I certainly went to Mass. Uh, we, we, my family was important to us. We got to Mass every Sunday. Um, I was the prototypical super altar boy where I was, I served from second to 10th grade. Um, ver, I think every, virtually every Sunday. Uh, By the way, I was a horrible altar boy. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I was, it was serious. You know, we, we, we we're obviously, this is just an audio podcast, not a video, but, but you know, hands, um, hands on the, the, on the knees when you're sitting, <laughs> you're standing that, 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 that perfect, you know, hands folded, fingers straight, that, that posture. Um, I had an old school priest and he was very serious. In fact, you know, quick tangent along those lines, small, I grew up in a small parish, a couple hundred families. The norm, the expectation was four servers at every mass. I mean, you don't see most parishes these days having four servers that have 10 times as many families. Anyway, right. yeah, it wasn't, that translation into practice certainly was not there. And I think that's part of the reason I alluded to the, that I fell away from the faith relatively quickly. In fact, I think the first weekend I was at college in Minneapolis, I didn't get to mass. It was 15 minute walk across campus to the Newman Center. I didn't get there because it just wasn't important to me. I, 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 I had a, a, a decent grasp of the basic tenets of the church, the, the teachings of the faith, but it was just sort of that theory uh, to use your paradigm, it was theory, but but the translation into regular practice had not um, happened in my life to that point. And maybe to follow up on that, then, and but going a little back earlier in your in your testimony, your description, you talk about how uh, one of the difficulties that you had, maybe, and as you talked about, you had some of those basics of the faith, but uh, where we have that struggle to to keep the faith kind of at that arm's length that this is some arbitrary moral rules mm -hmm. uh, made up by God who maybe was throwing divine darts at the uh, moral dartboard right. or by uh, 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 popes and bishops that don't understand real life. You know, we might think that way about them, that maybe they don't understand real life, so they just make up these rules to make things hard. And so I just have to jump through these hoops. How, as you're growing in this, are you finding that holiness is not opposed to happiness, but actually that that happiness is the fruit of holiness. That's a great question. I should one thing I think that was it's interesting. I I, I was I was one of those kids where I was generally um, I think my parents would confirm this. I was generally obedient. So as I was growing up, as I was learning the teachings of the church, you know, I, I, I didn't see that inner rationale, that inner logic. I, I never thought of it explicitly at that point that it seemed arbitrary to me, but I probably would have if you would have put it to me the way you did, sort of the, throwing the darts at the moral um, dartboard. I, I wasn't desiring that, that or seeking that inner rationale. It's just these are the truths, these, this, these are the rules, and by and large, I followed them. Um, but it wasn't until much later that I came to see uh, that they are, in fact, the means to my perfection. And so to answer the, the question that you asked, as I've, as I've grown, um, and I, of course, continue to grow, I'm certainly hopeful that I will spend my entire life growing um, in seeking to do God's will um, in all these various ways. Uh, I, I've just seen, you know, 
positively, I, I think it's probably been partially myself, but in other people um, who have been following Christ and his church for longer than I have. And I've seen them live through the struggles, the difficulties, um, the obstacles that they face as, they, as they've sought to live out their faith, and how their faith has, in spite of those difficulties, struggles, and obstacles, has sustained them, and how their people, they're attractive to me. You know, these are necessarily people who will be canonized after their death, but I think that's the mark of holiness. It's attractive. Um, the, the saints I described, they're, they're more real than any of us, and there's in that attraction of the beauty of holiness. Um, and I see that for other people who are, I, I, you know, well on the way, or at least certainly much further on the way than I am. Um, and that's been attractive to me. So I've seen it maybe a little bit in my own life as, as, as I've sought, desired to follow God's teachings that, you know, it, it's, not the, it's not the prosperity gospel. You know, it doesn't, my life hasn't been hunky-dory, no problems at all. But, but there's that inner, inner fulfillment um, at least in a kernel of it that, that hopefully will continue to grow over time. But I've seen it probably even more modeled in other people. And unfortunately, I've also seen it sort of anti-modeled, so to speak, in, in the lives of people, you know, maybe people who I know, but certainly in, in, in public figures who haven't um, lived according to those, those teachings that will fulfill us. And you see the consequences, unfortunately. So it's been sort of both the model and the anti-model, as well as, to some degree, um, my own um, slow growth, as it were. Well, good. That's, uh, and I think that leads us to just a powerful thought as well, maybe a, a good final thought from you in that way, of the power and the necessity of the Christian communion, of the kingdom of God, of the church, uh, for that building up and that encouragement in our own uh, seeking after Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that's where yeah, that, that community is so important. We cannot do it ourselves. We're not saved by ourselves. We're saved by God, but he does it through the church. I mean, for all of us, regardless of our belief, we always come through faith, to faith, through someone else. Uh, so absolutely, that, that I think that, uh, that that's very well put, Father, that, that we need that community. So any final thoughts that you think, I mean, sort of um, encapsulating or summarizing what, what you had to say, what I had to say, any, any closing thoughts for our listeners, Father? Well, I think uh, uh, maybe to put a, a little summary on this is that uh, seeking after Jesus Christ will never disappoint. It will never disappoint the human heart. Uh, our Lord knows the human heart. Our Lord made the human heart. Our Lord took on a human heart in the Incarnation. And so the more that we seek after and the more that we seek after why, to know the reasons of life, to unplug ourselves from those things that just keep us running around day to day like a, like a dog chasing its own tail, when you can break free from that circle, you know, chasing after your own tail, and actually start hunting for the bone, you know, to look for that meaning of life uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord uh, richly rewards that and desires to strengthen it and bless it. Amen, Father. Thank you. Yeah, and, and similarly, I think for me that the, the, the more we desire, you know, Peter Kreeft in one of his books talks about the, he has the prayer of the seeker or the doubter. I mean, if, if, you, if you have the smallest idea, maybe God exists, maybe Jesus Christ is real and he is God, um, and you ask him to reveal himself to you, he will. And just so, I, just as much, I think, with for those of us um, who have been 
desiring to grow and practice our faith and 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 and, and come into a greater relationship with Christ. That that continues to be our prayer as well. Uh, Jesus, reveal yourself to me today, um, and we can grow more deeply in our love and, and knowledge of Him and as of, of the teachings that He's revealed to us. So, so thank you for, to uh, to those of you who are listening. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast, Father. Uh, would you uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, no, actually, I, I feel pretty uh, complete in my thoughts. All right. Thank you very much, Father Andrew Dickinson, chaplain at the Pius XII Newman Center in Brookings, South Dakota. I am Dr. Chris Bergwald, and this has been Prairie Row Companion. Thank you, God bless, and see you next week.